So when we show up to church, a lot of us come, uh, we come in different ways. I, I, I don't know about you, there are times when I'll show up at church and I'm just filled with joy and excitement about maybe something that's uh, been going on in my life or something I'm looking forward to. There have been times where I've been in church where I've come with a heavy heart. And the truth is we come uh, with all kinds of ways of thinking and feeling and stuff like that. Sometimes we're thinking about last week. Sometimes we're thinking about the upcoming week. And, uh, but we come uh, together uh, principally for the purpose of worshiping God and hearing from his word. And so what we want to do today, uh, just, you know, we've been spending a little time in worship. I'd like to start with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll launch in today's message, okay? Uh, God, today what I want to do is I want to pray uh, that your word, that you will help me to proclaim it clearly, that you will help me to proclaim it boldly and humbly and graciously, and uh, God, I just want to pray for all of us here. Uh, all of us come. Some of us, maybe things are going really good. Others of us, maybe we're going through something challenging or difficult. And I just pray that you'll meet each one of us wherever we are. And, uh, and so that's my prayer for us today, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are doing a series. We're calling this series Acts 29. There's a reason for that. I explained it last week, but I'll just kind of explain it again. Uh, when you read the book of Acts, how many chapters does it, ha- does it have? 28. But I'm calling it Acts 29, okay? Uh, and the reason we're doing that is when you read the book of Acts, and a lot of us have been reading through the book of Acts together, and we are, today is day 22 of our 40 days of prayer. We're trying to bathe our week of hope in prayer as it's approaching. And uh, But the reason we're calling our series Acts 29 is because uh, when, when Luke, Luke was the guy who wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And when Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts, he told Theophilus, that's the person he was writing to, that, that his first work, the Gospel of Luke, was the first of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And in saying that, he was saying that the book of Acts was a continuation. It's kind of like the sequel. Okay, it's like Star Wars, you know, and then it's like the Empire Strikes Back. All right, it, it's that you know the Godfather, the Godfather Part Two. All right, so uh, except it's not the Godfather. Okay, uh, it's better than that. It's a better story than that. So uh, with with Acts, um, uh, but what we want to see is we want to see ourselves as a continuation. Uh, that 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 the Book of Acts wasn't just written to tell us about what happened way back then, it does do that, but it also was written to be instructive of how God is wanting to continue to work through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses for Christ in our world today. In our world today. Um, in 1978, 1978, it was August, it was a, a less than a month away from me turning 19 years old. I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I had spent the summer in Myrtle, and I had been, um, I'd been in Myrtle. I'd been doing a lot of street evangelism. I'd been doing a lot of uh, beach evangelism, which, you know, that kind of evangelism is very, very threatening for most people. It is. Oh, by the way, it was very, very threatening for me. Okay, it was something that I felt extremely inadequate for. Uh, I had some training, but I did not feel... Thoroughly trained. I felt like I had a lot to learn. By the way, uh, I'm 59. I'll be 60 this year, and I still have a lot to learn. But I, I felt, by the way, I still feel inadequate a lot. 
You know, when I think about the idea of sharing the gospel with another person, when I think about the idea of introducing Christ into a conversation or talking with people today, it feels scary for me. You know, it may not feel scary for you, but it feels scary for me. I'm, I'm kind of afraid sometimes. I'm kind of afraid of what they might think about me. Uh, I'm kind of afraid of maybe saying something unintentionally that might offend them or something that even turns them off to Jesus because I really don't want to do that. And, and so as an a, a 18, almost 19-year-old young man, I had spent the summer there. I learned how to do street evangelism. I learned how to do evang- beach evangelism. And I happened to be one of those guys that other people would say, Gary has to get to the evangelism. You know, I had guys who, who, who told me that. They thought I was really, it was something I was really, really good at. By the way, sometimes it's not good to be told that you're good at something, all right? Because it can go to your head. Uh, and so, but for me, I still felt very, very inadequate, still felt very, very scared. And, but, you know, beach evangelism and street evangelism is a lot easier, a lot easier if you're doing it with 40 other college students and young adult leaders from all across the country, when you're doing it together, it feels easier. But now it was August. Uh, our project, our missions project was coming to an end. Most of my friends were gone. I was still there. And I was going to leave in a day or two to fly back to Arkansas. And uh, I did something that was kind of crazy. And uh, what I did was I called a high school football coach. And I asked this coach if he would give me permission to come speak to his, his football team, about 75, 80 young men. And uh, I asked him if I could share with them my story of how I found hope in the person of Jesus. And I asked him if I could talk to his players about how they could have the same hope. And for some crazy reason, he said yes really bizarre. Now, can you imagine yourself in that situation? My guess is is maybe a couple of us can, a lot of us can't. Um, I was standing on the sideline watching the young men practice, feeling completely out of place, feeling totally inadequate, holding uh, a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. Seriously. It, It didn't have chicken in it. I would have been much more liked if, I, if there was chicken in it. Uh, but what I had in there was some three-by-five cards and some golf pencils. I was nervous, and I was afraid. Um, I'm going to come back to this in a moment. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. This is not for you to answer for other people. It's for you to think about in your own heart, your own mind. This is between you and God right now. And so other people don't need your answer. They need to bring this question to God. What I want to ask you is, why would we? Why would we? Or why should we want to be involved in reaching people in our community who don't know Jesus? This is not your question to answer for another person right now. This is their question for them to bring to God and to bring to what we're looking at in the Scriptures today. The Bible says a lot of things about witnessing. It says a lot of things. And we read a lot of stories. And if you've been reading through the book of Acts, it's kind of hard for me to relate with Peter. 
It's hard for me to relate to Peter. It's hard for me to relate with the idea of standing in front of multitudes of people, preaching the gospel, and then seeing 3,000 people come to know Christ. Now, that, that may be easy for some people to imagine, but for me, that just feels like I cannot make any kind of connection with Peter on this. And so the thought of taking anything from Acts into my daily life, for me, sometimes feels like a huge challenge. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures, and then I want to just kind of look at a couple of thoughts here that I think are valuable for us and thinking about why would we or why should we want to be involved in reaching people in our community through like Week of Hope and things like that. The scripture says that salvation, salvation is found in no one else. That's what the Bible says, speaking of Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. The Bible says, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. You hear that? The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus is the name for those who want to call Jesus Savior to be saved. The Bible doesn't tell us that God is like a mountain with many paths to the top. And that everybody can choose their own little path, whatever that path looks like. By the way, when we tell ourselves that we can choose our own little path, we make ourselves God of our own lives. So the Bible tells us that there is salvation in no one else. Two more texts of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount a while back, working through the Gospel of Matthew. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, pause for a moment. Jesus is talking to a group of people who had been following him. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. I want to challenge you with something, if I can, okay? I want to challenge you with a thought, and I want you to give this, and I want you to play with this a little bit. I want you to think about the possibility that Jesus was thinking about Matt Skinner, and he was thinking about this moment, and he was thinking about two weeks ahead, and he was thinking about Week of Hope. I want you to consider for a moment that Jesus was thinking about Debbie Spreadbury right now, this moment, right here, in the weeks ahead. And I want you to think about that Jesus had you by name, by face, by need in his heart, his mind when he said those words. Now, some of you, you're like, well, how is that possible? How is that possible? This is what I want you to consider. Let me tell you how it's possible. This week... While I was preparing this message, I had many of you, by face, by name, on my heart as I was preparing this message. I was thinking about you. I was praying for you. Even when I wasn't working on my message, even when I was just out riding my bike, I was thinking about many of you, by name, by need, by face, and I was praying for you as I was working on this message. Now, for us, it's hard to think of how could Jesus think about so many people so far into the future. But this is what I want you to consider. I'm Gary. I'm just kind of an ordinary, kind of a plain guy, right? Sometimes a little bit rough around the edges, sometimes, you know. But I think 
a lot of you would say, well, but his heart's good, and you kind of pardon some of that stuff sometimes. But this is what I want you to consider. Jesus is more than ordinary God. See, Jesus is the one who spoke the word in a billion trillion galaxies were flung into existence. By the way, the Bible talks a lot about, about God foreknowing us. And when the Bible speaks of foreknowing, it's not just speaking of God knows in the future what's going to happen, but when he speaks of foreknowing you, you know what it's like to joyfully wait for the birth of, of your first baby? It's like you foreknow them. They are intimate to you while they are still in their mother's womb. And you were intimate to God in eternity past. And you were intimate to Jesus as he said these words, as he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. See, he had this incredible vision for you before you were born. He had this incredible vision for me before we were born. He had a vision for us being salt and light right here. Right here. In Fairfield, in Sassoon, in Vacaville, at Travis Air Force Base. Wherever your life takes you, he had a vision for you, for your life, that you would be the salt of the earth, that you would be the light of the world. Um, he goes on to say this. Jesus says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, yeah, you know, you're driving down the freeway, you see a big hill, and on top of it there's a, a city. Uh, okay, you don't see that as much here, but if you go to Israel, and I've been there, is they would build their cities on what were called tells are hills. And basically what they were is they were ruins with a town built over the ruins, with a town built over the ruins, with a town built over the ruins, until eventually it gets really, really tall. And it's just kind of what happened in the ancient world. The city would get destroyed, they'd rebuild it. It'd get destroyed, they'd rebuild it. They'd get destroyed, they'd rebuild it, and it kept getting taller and taller. And, and when you are going through the countryside, you would see these tales and you would see these cities built on hills. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Anybody turn on your lamp recently and put a bowl over it? No, we don't do that, do we? No, we don't do that. We, we turn on the light so we can see. We, we turn on the light so we can read or, or whatever it is we're going to do. Just to be able to see around. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine, so that let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't talking about showing off. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not trying to show off with good works. That's not it. But we are talking about letting our light shine through our good deeds in such a way that we're not glorified, but God is. Another text of Scripture. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking with his disciples. Again, with me, please, uh, just consider that maybe Jesus was thinking about you, your face, your name, this moment, and the moments ahead, and the weeks to come, in the months to come, the years to come. And what Jesus says is this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus is telling us that we are going to be witnesses for him to the ends of the earth, he wasn't thinking of Fairfield, California. He wasn't thinking of the county of Solano as being the center of the world and that our real work was to send missionaries to another country. That was not in the mind of Jesus. What was in the mind of Jesus is that he's already sent you to the very ends of the earth. You have been sent here to this moment, this place, this time to be his witness. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't send missionaries to other countries. But it's interesting to me as I look and see some of the things that are happening in other countries, and I think one day it may be those people sending missionaries here. Seriously. I, 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 in fact, I know it's already happening. I know of South Koreans sending South Korean missionaries to our country as missionaries and other places. Um, there are probably a lot of really important principles in these texts. But I want to share with you three really simple thoughts, if I can. And I say they're simple. They're simple for me. Hopefully, they'll be simple for you. But they are very, very important principles for us to guide our lives as we think about how God wants us to live in our world today. First thought is this, is you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Okay? By the way, if I'm not telling you what Jesus said, I'm not telling you the right thing. All right? But you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. So how, what does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light? Real quick, real quick. Okay? So when you think of salt and you think of how it was used, particularly in the ancient world, uh, it was used, a lot of times it was used to like cure meat. They didn't have like refrigerators where you could stick your, I don't know, you, you open you open that sliced turkey that you eat, you know, deli meat, whatever, I don't know. And, and you know, after you eat it, you don't leave it on the counter. Well, I hope you don't leave it on the counter. There are some kinds of meat you can leave it on the counter, it's no big deal, all right? But... Uh, but what you do is you put it in the fridge. Well, back then, they didn't have a fridge to put it in. So it had to be cured with salt. It, it was a preservative. It was also used uh, as a cleansing agent, even for medicinal purposes. And then it was used for what I like to use it for most, on smoked brisket. <laughs> that has been cooked so tender, you can cut it with a fork. Thank you, Cody. Uh, it, it, you know, it's for flavor. And what God is saying about you and me is he wants us to live and interact with people in our world in a way that's nothing but good. You know, that we are, uh, the effect that we have uh, around others around us is, yeah, we, we help to, uh, to, to hinder spiritual uh, deterioration in our culture, in our society. We do that. But we do more than that. That, that we have... Uh, a kind of an, a medicinal and healing effect in the lives of other people around us. Sorry, I'm talking to them too much. Let me go over here and talk to you guys a little bit. And uh, so we, we, we want to be agents of healing in our community, our neighborhood, our culture. That, that we want to be, we, we want people in our community to just say, you know what? I don't know if I believe in God the way they believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus the way they believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the Bible the way they believe in the Bible. But if I ever were going to believe in Jesus, if I ever were going to believe in God, if I ever were going to believe in the Bible, I would want to believe in it the way they're believing in it. Because the effect that their lives are having 
in our community is nothing but good. Where we're adding flavor, that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. What does light do for us? It reveals to us what's around us. It, it, it's like, you know, if, you're, if you've ever tried to make it your way through a dark room and you didn't want to turn on the light and then you, your foot, your toe discovers something that wasn't there, okay, but then was, uh, you know, you, you kind of wish that you'd turn the light on. And, and what God wants us to do is he wants us to let our light shine in such a way that, that, that it, it, it lights the way for people to come to Jesus. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Secondly, let your kindness... Now, I said kindness and not good deeds. I'll tell you why. Let your kindness, let your kindness toward others shine so that God is glorified. The Bible says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, now let's think about this. Let's think about uh, what God is wanting us to do here. And, and, and for me, I, I don't know, but I, I can't do signs or miracles. I, I, I wish I could. You know, or if I couldn't, I wish one of you could. Y'all wish you could do signs and miracles for us, all right? I wish that one of you could do signs and miracles because wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be really, really cool? We have John show up with the band. It's going to be exciting. We have John show up with the band. But wouldn't it be cool if we could invite one of our friends who has cancer? And, and, and whoever it is that has the signs and wonders gifts could go over, lay hands on them, and they're, pow, they're healed right then, right there. I mean, like, wouldn't it be cool if we could go over to Rockville Cemetery and raise a couple of people from the dead. But let's only raise the nice people, okay? <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? I mean, think of the impact our message could have in the community if we could do something like that. But if you're like me, you don't have that gift of signs and wonders. But you know what? Even if you don't have a gift of signs, you can do something significant for another person. And even if you can't do wonders, you can do something wonderful for another person. And even if you can't do anything else, you can show kindness to another person who needs kindness. And folks, when we do things where we're showing kindness to people around us, we're not talking about showing off for people so people will applaud us. That's not the point. We're talking about doing something significant. We're talking about doing something wonderful. So um, we found out yesterday, one of our neighbors, um, he and his wife have always been very, very diligent to walk around the block in our neighborhood. They've very, been very, very inspiring for us. And uh, we have other friends who walk as well, and Joy likes to walk a lot. Sometimes I will. Uh, but uh, and it's been a great way of connecting with people in our neighborhood. But this one couple, they've been, you know, they've been really dedicated walkers for a long time. And we found out yesterday from two of our friends that he was riding his motorcycle a couple weeks ago, and another guy was riding a motorcycle coming from the opposite direction. And the guy that was riding the other motorcycle from the opposite direction crossed the, the double yellow line. And he hit our neighbor head on. And our neighbor was dead on the scene of the accident. 
And our neighbor, our other neighbor now, she is dealing with the loss of having lost her husband unexpectedly and tragically. And, you know, and you're never ready for someone you love to die. Uh, but there's this loss. And, you know, Joy wasn't trying to be, do something significant. She wasn't trying to do something wonderful. That's what makes my wife That's what makes a lot of what joy does significant and wonderful. And she can't give Karen her husband back. But she could go over and just say, I'm so sorry for your loss, and give her some flowers. Joy is not trying to make her into a project. She's just trying to show kindness to a person who needs kindness. And folks, we don't have to do Week of Hope. I mean, I think it's good for us to do something like this together. But if we can just sow kindness into the daily rhythms of our life, that, that you don't have to stand up in front of a high school football team and make yourself look like a fool. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to wear a sandwich sign, whatever you call it, you know, on the street corner and say, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. You don't have to do that. But what you can do to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world is just do something significant and do something wonderful for another person. It, it could be really simple. It could be... Uh, throwing a football with a kid in your neighborhood who who doesn't know Jesus, who maybe doesn't have a dad to throw the ball with him. But it can be all kinds of things. It's things that we're introduced to every day, just showing kindness to someone in our lives who needs kindness. Then let your kindness toward others shine so that God is glorified. The third thing I want to bring up to you today is this, is that rely Rely on the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ. See, what Jesus said is he said this. He he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. By the way, when you become a Christian, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit uh, comes into you and seals you for the day of of salvation. And and, 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 and what, what... Jesus said, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. For Paul, that was Rome. For you and me, it's places like Fairfield, Susun, Vacaville, Vallejo, wherever your daily trips take you. But to, to rely on his power to be a powerful witness for him. Where does this power come from? It doesn't come from within. It comes from above. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I said it doesn't come from within. It does come from within in this sense, that when you become a Christian, you are given the Holy Spirit who resides in you. And He is there to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. And He is there to help you be a powerful witness for Christ. So the question is, is what does that look like in our daily lives? What does it look like being a powerful witness for Christ, what is that supposed to look like 
in our lives. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know when I first saw it. It's probably a little over a week ago. And I was, I was watching a video by a guy named Timothy Keller. How many of y'all know who Timothy Keller is? Okay, a few of you. Uh, if you've never read any of his books, he, he's, he's really an incredible thinker, uh, really, really good writer. Uh, some people have called him the C.S. Lewis of our times. I think he would tell you that's overstating it. Uh, but I do think Keller is, uh, I wish my brain was as sharp as his. I wish my command of scripture was as sharp as his. I wish I was as humble and kind as he is. Um, but but when, when I was watching this video from Keller, he was talking about what does it look like to be a witness in our daily lives. And he talked about what he called the, the witness of deeds, which we kind of talked about, showing kindness to someone who needs kindness. And he also talked about the witness of words. And, and what Keller talked about is he said, some, some people, they want to do witness with words. And they consider witness with deeds kind of a waste of time and expensive. And the witness of, uh, of deeds can be expensive. And it can be very time. It can cost us a lot in time. But, but he said that if you are trying to be a witness with your words without being a witness of your deeds, then the world looks at you, and this is what they think. All they care about, all they care about is increasing their tribe. But he said the other side of it is, is that some people, they want to just do the witness of deeds. Why? Well, because sometimes it's a lot easier to show kindness to another person than it is to stand in front of a high school football team and share the gospel with them. However, I'll be honest with you, recently with one of my neighbors, it's feeling really hard to show kindness, okay? And, uh, and, and, and I'm not sure how that's going to play out. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but what, is this, what does this witness of words look like? And, and what Keller says that he wants for the people of this church, and quite frankly, I think it would be really good for you and me, is, is to be able to do just two things. See, a lot of times what can happen for us is we feel like that we have to, in this moment, share the entirety of the gospel. We feel like in this moment we have to be able to argue with them about the evidence for creation over evolution. And somehow... To, to really bring this home. And, and there's a value in having people in who are able to do those kinds of things. But what Keller talks about is he said, really, the two most important things for all of us in our everyday lives is just being able to do two things. Two things. One is, in a very casual way, let people know that you go to church. That's all. You know? And, and so what does that look like? What does that look like, uh, you know, for me? What does it look like? It might look like uh, last week meeting a young man, Jacob, or Jacoby, or what, Jake, because he's called by all these things, and I'm confused. I have no clue what to, what to call him now. But, but, but Jake, Jacoby Jacob, has been selling me coffee probably two or three times a week, every week, for probably almost a year now. And every time that we talk, we, we kind of engage. We do. And, and this week, he told me he just got back from vacation. He was, up in, uh, he was up in Seattle, saw the home of Kurt Cobain. And so we were talking a little bit about Nirvana and, and Nirvana music because they do have some music I really like. 
But we were talking about that, and then we were talking about, about Portland. And I was like, oh, really? Cool, you're in Portland? And I said, I'm, I've actually looked at a couple schools up there that I've thought about working on my DMIN degree from. And so uh, it, it's a doctor's of ministry degree. But in that, it just was very natural to talk a little bit about my faith, but not pushing anything. And, and the thing is, is when I talk to him, that kind of conversation happens a lot. But it's just letting people know that you go to church. And then the second thing uh, Timothy Keller says is let people know that you're a Christian and it means something to you. Let people know that you're a Christian and it means something to you. Let me give you two illustrations of this. One from my personal life. One from my personal life. I have a nephew I've been praying for for a very, very long time. I'm kind of concerned about where he's at in his walk with Jesus. I don't want to assume too much. But I pray, I pray for my kids. By the way, I pray for your kids too. I do. I pray for you guys. Uh, I pray for you by name, by face, by need. Uh, but I also pray for your kids. And I pray for my kids. And I pray for my brothers and sisters-in-law. And I pray for my mom. And I pray for my sister. And, and I, I pray for my nephews and I pray for my nieces. But there's one nephew who's kind of been heavy on my heart that I've been praying for. And he's 16 years old. He's a really, really good athlete. And uh, so funny. A kid is just like a super athlete. And he makes me laugh. He does. He just makes me laugh. He, he'll do things that just... Um, he, his, one of his older brothers, Seth, is probably six foot tall. Running down a hill, he'll run and do leapfrog over him. I'm like, how do you do that? This kid's got serious hops, you know? And... Uh, and, and, but he's, he's going to be the, the, the quarterback of his high school football team this year. And we, were, we just started throwing the ball. We were just playing catch together. And we were just kind of talking, not, nothing about anything serious. And he said, Uncle Gary, um, did you play football when you were in high school? And I just said, well, yeah, but it wasn't very fun. And kind of laughed. And he said, well, why wasn't it fun? I said, well, uh, first of all, we weren't very good. And then he laughed. And he said, we're not very good either. And I said, but really to me, for me, it was really more about my attitude. It was more about my attitude. There was just some stuff that was going on in my life. I wasn't doing well spiritually. And uh, I was just pretty miserable. And it kind of bled out onto the football field. And our conversation didn't go anywhere from there. But all I did was I was talking to him about a moment in my life about where my faith was not as important to me that helped him grasp maybe hopefully a little bit better why now Uncle Gary is a pastor and his faith is more important to him. Does that make sense? It's just like in, in, in the, the, the example that Keller gives in this video is he, he says, imagine yourself as a woman. It's easier for the women than it is for the men. I, I, I get that, all right? I use too many illustrations about men because I'm a man, all right? But he said, imagine you're a woman who has been struggling with anger towards her husband. Now, my wife has never had that experience. So this is really hard for her to imagine. But, but for the rest of you, imagine for a moment you're a woman who's been, who has struggled with some anger towards your husband. And you find yourself in a conversation with a friend who's talking with you. And just in the course of the conversation, it feels very natural to say, you know, I mean, I, I've struggled and sometimes still struggle with anger towards my husband. Uh, but, my, uh, uh, but my faith has had an important part of helping me with that. Now, that friend may just let it, that comment fly by. 
And, and if they do let it fly by, don't, don't worry about it. By the way, if you don't struggle with anger towards your husband, don't use that with a person, okay? Uh, but, but just, you know, if it flies by, let it fly by. Don't worry about it if they don't, if they don't go anywhere with it. But if the person says, really, how? Then God may create for you a very organic, natural conversation about how your faith, your walk with Jesus, is making a difference in your daily life. And so what we're talking about is next week we're going to talk about how do you take the gospel, make it really simple, and are able to explain it to another person. I do think that's good for us to learn. But I don't necessarily think, and and this is what happens, is we get all freaked out and we get all anxious because we think we're supposed to make all that stuff happen in one conversation. And quite frankly, a lot of times it doesn't. But a lot of times all we're doing is leaking good news. We're just leaking a little bit of good news into people's lives while daily we're looking for opportunities to show kindness to people. And folks... If those are the only two things you can do, if all you can do is show kindness to people who need kindness, if all you can do is let people know that you go to church or to let people know that you're a Christian and that means something for you, then what I'm going to tell you is you have it 90% right right there. You're getting it 90% right in your daily life and rhythm is that what you are doing is you are being good news and you are sharing good news and you are letting the Holy Spirit do the rest with it. Does this make sense at all? Okay, okay. So it, it's, I wasn't planning on doing this sermon, okay? Uh, but I just felt like God wanted me to talk to you about this. And, and so even though I had a series planned, I've changed my series entirely because I just felt like I was supposed to talk with you about this. Anybody want to know what happened in Myrtle Beach? No? Okay. I thought I heard someone just say no. That's why. Okay. This is what happened in Myrtle. This is what happened in Myrtle for me. I'm a month shy of 19 years old. I feel incredibly inadequate. I feel completely out of place. Uh, and, and, and I stand up and I share my story of how I found hope in Christ. And how I have found fullness where I once had emptiness. Not that my life is always full. But I was talking about this. And then as I began to explain the gospel to them, I had memorized this gospel presentation that I had worked on all that summer. Had quotes from, you know, uh, from Blaise Pascal and, and St. Augustine. And we know teenage boys want to hear all those quotes, you know, because they're really impressed with all that. And, uh, and this is what happened. There were about 75, 80... 80 guys there, 80 young men, and this is what happened. I passed out those three-by-five cards with those golf pencils, and I asked those young men if they would like to commit their lives to Christ today, and I asked those young men, if today you made that decision, would you simply uh, give me your name and your contact information? I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Uh, But give me your name, your contact information, and uh, just tell me today, I pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is what happened. I got those cards back, and I don't remember, it was either 27 or 28 young men said they became followers of Jesus. Okay? Okay? Now, that might sound kind of cool, and it was for me. 
because I felt completely inadequate. And I felt completely unprepared. And I was in a place where I felt like I did not belong. I am almost 60 years old today. Since that time, I've never had that kind of experience happen to me again. Now, I've had opportunities to introduce many individuals to Christ. I've had opportunities to speak to much larger groups. I have seen a few numbers here and there of people who've come to know Jesus. And I've sometimes struggled. I'm just, I'm, I'm just being me with you guys, if I can do that. Sometimes I've struggled. You know, why is it that my best experience of evangelism happened way back then instead of right now? I've struggled with that. And I've thought about this, and I've thought, well, maybe those, maybe those, you know, there's a lot of ways to answer this. It could be none of those guys were sincere. Or it could be, and I've done this before. I remember I was uh, speaking in a fraternity one time, and I was talking to guys, and I was doing basically the same thing. And, And one of the cards I got back was a guy who said that he prayed to receive Christ. So I give the guy a call, and I'm talking to him, and this guy is like clueless and uninterested. And all of a sudden I realized he didn't fill out that card. One of his buddies filled it out for him, uh, just as a gag. So it could be there were 27, 28 year, uh, you know, young men who were playing gags on other young men. What happened that day? What happened? And I thought, well, you know, maybe I was more surrendered to God then than I am now. Maybe, you know, and I've, I've toyed with this, and I've toyed with this. And this is what I, I, I this is where I came this morning thinking and praying about this again. This is what I thought of. What if that moment had nothing to do with me? What if it had absolutely nothing to do with me then and still has nothing to do with me today? What if, what if there was a 65-year-old woman whose son was a 40-year-old football coach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. What if that day there was a 65-year-old woman who prayed again today? And she had been praying every day for 20 years for the salvation of her son. What if what happened that day, what if what happened that day had nothing to do with me? What if what happened that day is there were a group of, of, of mothers and grandmothers What if there were a group of mothers and grandmothers who had been praying for their sons, who were wayward and walking away from the faith? What if there were a group of five, six, seven, eight women who had been praying every day for months and months and months? What if they had been praying? What if they were united in prayer? and intent on asking God to save their sons, their grandsons? What if they had been praying and fasting for weeks and months every day? And that day, God the Holy Spirit moved in the lives of their sons and their grandsons. And not because of me, not because I was some kind of fantastic speaker or anything like that. I had never gone to seminary. I, I'd never really spoken in, that, in front of that many groups before. But what if it was all about a few people who are continually devoting themselves to prayer? Now, folks, 
I hope you know where I'm going with this. But just in case you're not. You remember Acts chapter 2 when Peter speaks and 3,000 people are saved? What happened in Acts chapter 1? In Acts chapter 1, there was a small group of 120 Messianic Jews. And the Bible says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. It was not casual prayer. It was devoted prayer. It wasn't occasional prayer. They were continually praying. And the Bible tells us that they were united in prayer. Now we, after the service is over with, you're going to have opportunities to sign up to serve in different ways with Week of Hope and all that kind of good stuff. And I would like you to do that. I'd like us to all do something. Okay? But more important than all of that, more important than all the things that we do, more important than all the things we try to organize other people to do, more important than all of that, is each of us just asking God to do what only God can do. Just asking God to do what only God can do. You know that neighbor that might be hard for you to love right now? Maybe praying that God would save him or God would save her. Maybe praying that God would change your heart. Help me, God, to be less exasperated. Help me to be more kind. Help me to have really good boundaries, set good boundaries, but also help me to show kindness. And pray for that neighbor or pray for that person you work with. And tonight, many of us are going to join. And we're going to come together. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to search us. We're going to ask God to search us. And we're going to ask God to help us to be repentant, to turn from anything and everything that stands between us and what it means to really follow Jesus. We're going to humble ourselves and we're going to pray. And, and we're going to pray for our friends, our neighbors. And we're going to pray for ourselves as we go into our community. And, uh, and, and folks, I would love for you to join us in that. God wants us to be the salt of the earth. He wants us to be the light of the world. He wants us to show people who need kindness, kindness. And he wants us to be ready to just um, drip good news into the lives of other people. Let's pray. God, today, um, we want to humble ourselves before you. Lord, I, 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 I want to humble myself before you. Lord, I've been struggling a little bit over the last 24 hours about some stuff. And I don't know really what to do. I know you're wanting me to be salt and light in my neighborhood. And a part of me is wrestling with what does that look like right now. God, I, I, I have a feeling I'm not the only person who might, might be struggling with something like that. So God, today what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you, to help me humble myself before you, ask you to examine my heart, my mind. Help me, God, to repent where I need to repent. Help me to remove anything that's standing between me and, and truly following Jesus. God, I pray that for our church. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you and to seek you above all things. Lord, I pray for revival in our lives because we need it. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to move and work through us. Help us, God, to love the unlovely. Help us to show kindness to people who need it most. 
And God teaches how to drip good news into our interactions with other people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.